Well, you know, Easter is still something that um, is celebrated by Christians around the world. In fact, um, we got an email Thursday from one of the missions that we support in Pakistan. And uh, they have what they call Holy Thursday. So praise God, they're, way, they're not only ahead of us time-wise, but the, a full day. And uh, they sent a picture of a lot of people, just a lot of people in a room gathered, standing, no sitting on tables, having a meal, a holy meal, they called it. So, uh, you know, however they rejoice, praise God, we rejoice with them. That, that's what it's all about. Okay, I want to be honest and open this morning. The condition of the world today, the world is winding down as sin overtakes sin. Sinning's one thing, calling it good is quite another. Yet directly firing off your anti-Christian sin cannons at children, as well as adults, is quite another. It's the culmination of self-lust, and it's totally absent of anything that looks like a conscience. So where are we going as a nation? Is the church alive today? What about Jesus? Is he alive today? Amen. Well, so if Jesus is alive, is the church alive? Is it really? Does the kingdom you're in look like righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit? Or does it look more like a morgue? Maybe only sitting on the front steps of the morgue waiting for the coffin to be made ready. Well, I can tell you one thing. At Church of Tomorrow, praise God, hallelujah, we are alive and we're going to stay alive and we're going to grow in that because that's what we should be. We are the most people that are most alive of any people on earth, praise God. Not putting anybody down, just telling you the truth that a Christian should be the light and the salt of the earth. That's what we're called to be. So look at somebody and say, are you salt and you light? <laughs> uh, praise God. I'm reminded of something of a particular interest, at least it should be to all of us. And we're going to look at Hebrews 11:24 this morning uh, for a few minutes. Hebrews 11:24. by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, take in mind that Egypt was the empire on the world that day, okay? They were the superpower. And to be Pharaoh's daughter puts you in a very high position. It puts you in a high position in front of people. It puts you in a high position financially. You had all kinds of servants at your snap of your fingers that you could get anything done, anything you wanted. It was all that. But verse 25 says he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, okay, this is B.C., as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You know, people don't, they may die physically, but we all live forever because we're spirit and soul beings. Amen. So praise God, we have a future to look forward to in Christ 
that's going to be beyond what we can think or imagine. And outside of Christ, there's not a very good look to look forward to. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, not fearing what the government may say or what they may demand. He preserved because he saw him who is invisible. Mm-hmm. Yep. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. There are a lot of correlations with that scripture and what is going on today in our world. And we can dissect that and spend a lot of time on it, which uh, I hope you do at home, and uh, look forward to the things that are ahead of us regardless of what they may be. I'll say that one again. We look forward to the things that are ahead of us regardless of what they may be because we're in Christ. What's going on in the world today is headed towards the people of God being persecuted like we've never seen before. Uh, We'll call it spiritual slavery because that's where the Antichrist wants to put us. However, this does not have to happen, and it certainly doesn't have to happen to you as an individual. It's all up to us and the greater body of Christ to come alive. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. The question remains and is open to which kingdom position we find ourselves positioned. Are we positioned in the kingdom of God and is our God alive? Or are we digressing through the prepping stage to enter in and crawl into our casket in the morgue, spiritually speaking, and die? For the enemy to silence the church is plotting to kill Jesus. For the enemy to silence the church is plotting to kill Jesus. For us to come alive is to celebrate his resurrection in life 365 and one-fourth years, days out of the year. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter 14. And for those of you that are uh, maybe first time or second time or whatever, third time here, uh, we normally go through the Bible not in a verse here and a verse there and a verse here and a verse there, but we go through in sections. And so what we're doing today is we're actually kind of... Uh, putting the, the Gospels together chronologically and looking at it in that perspective. But it's all got one, uh, one particular message that the Lord wants us to, to really receive and, and believe. Mark 14, 1. Now the Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread, Jewish holidays, were only two days away and the chief priest And teachers of the law were looking forward for some sly way to arrest Jesus. But not during the festival, they said, the people may riot. Luke 22, 3, which is sequentially, chronologically right after that, in a different place. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted. (laughs) 
and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when there was no crowd present. The devil is slick. Then we jump back to Mark chapter 14, this time verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, Where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Verse 15. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Remember, the Passover is the celebration of of the Jewish people being led out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And the, uh, the Jewish people were told to sacrifice the lamb, to take the blood and put it on their doorpost, and to eat all of the lamb, and several other things. But when the death angel passed over, he would not take the firstborn because God had proclaimed that the firstborn of everybody in that region would die that night. And the angel would see the blood on the doorpost and know that's a Jewish home. We're going to pass over that. Okay? Now jump over to Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written, fulfilling prophecy, about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You've said so. Then they took the preparation for the Passover. We go back to Mark 14, this time verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, And gave it to his disciples today saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. That's okay. When we do communion today, you'll have your individual little couplet. (laughs) This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And that's the uh, feast we're going to have in heaven. Praise God. Then we have a series of events. Uh, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Jesus foretells of Peter's denial. And then quite a number of 
of the last part of the book of John is found for the sake of our discussion from a chronological perspective in this. So what we're taking, if you're familiar with John, it's different than the other three Gospels. It talks about different things. And so we're going to interlock them together today and go over to John uh, in a little bit. But right now, I just want to mention some of the time, time things, the time releases. Uh, John chapter 14, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, I came, I came next. Um, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Then came the, the teaching about the vines and the branches out of John 15. And then the warning of persecution to them in John 16, followed by Jesus comforting the disciples. Then we have the uh, farewell prayer or high priestly prayer of John 17 that takes place. Jesus' uh, betrayal by Judas, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he prayed in you know, preparation to go to the cross, not my will, but yours, Father. Then Jesus is arrested, and then uh, he meets with the high priest, uh, Annas, and then, uh, then Caiaphas. Caiaphas. said that right the second time, in John 18. So you see how the, a lot of people say, well, they say different things. Well, there's nothing here that argues each other. Uh, what I'm doing is taking the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then interlacing time-wise, chronologically, chronologically, the book of John. Yeah. Okay? And when you do this, it opens up a lot of new understanding for you to be able to pick this up. And, and I tell you what, it, I was blessed just doing the research on this. And I, I, I told Kelly this morning, I said, I could spend another week just on this. It's, it's so enriching. And I encourage you to do your own. Then crucifixion day, also known as a preparation day, was coming. And Jesus is tried and condemned. We go back to Mark 14. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. Remember, Jesus uh, had already prophesied that he was going to deny him. Peter, there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. He wanted to keep an eye on what's going on, but he didn't want to get too close. Verse 55, the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin, which was the legal council, were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. They found the person. Now we want to find a crime to fit him. <clears throat> but they could not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Verse 57. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked, Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest said to him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now verse 62, Mark 14, 62 is a wonderful verse to know because when somebody says, 
Well, did Jesus ever say he was God? We're getting ready to read four places right here in this one verse that he said he was God. But see, it has to be read with the understanding. He said, I am. Does it remind you of anybody? <laughs> when Moses asked God, going before he went to the Pharaoh, he said, who shall I say sent me? And Yahweh, the, the Lord, Jehovah, whatever you want to call the Father God, he said, tell him I am sent you. Jesus is declaring he's the same I am that had given Moses the right to leave and take the Israelite people with him. Can you imagine Moses taking two or three million people away from the Pharaoh? You talk about persecution. The Pharaoh, man, he would have been flames coming out of his mouth and ears and everything else. Because that's all the slaves he had that built everything. They built the, uh, the, the pyramids. We're still not smart enough to understand how they did that. You know, Didn't have any cranes back there. Okay, get that heavy machinery out there, Chris, and go after it. <laughs> they still, you know, they didn't. Anyway, he said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man. That's the second one. He called himself the Son of Man a lot. At the right hand of the Mighty One, he's on the throne, and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel. Okay, Daniel was one of the books in the, in the uh, Bible that looks ahead of time. And some of his prophecies have been fulfilled and some of them haven't been yet. So it's the most prophetic book in the Old Covenant. And so Jesus signifies that he is one and the same as what Daniel prophesied about 600 years earlier, 500 years earlier, something like that. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Verse 20, uh, 63, the high priest tore his clothes. What do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fist and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Now, Jesus was not crucified because he was sweet and loving and kind and a healer. They prophesied him because he, he said, I'm God. That's what we need to understand and see. He said, I am. The son of man shall sit at the right hand of God Almighty. And he's coming on the clouds. Talking about his resurrection. It's already been done. That part's already done. That's finished. The New Testament talks when he led captivity captive. So does the Old Testament. There's fulfillments of prophecies all the way through the New Testament concerning what was said in the Old Testament. Then we have more interludes. Peter denies the Lord three times. Jesus was then condemned by the Sanhedrin. The suicide of Judas. Then Jesus is brought before Pilate. Jesus is brought before Herod Antipas, Jesus before Pilate. Again, Barabbas is released. They released Barabbas and said, crucify him. 
The, the world today still yells out that. Yeah. Crucify Jesus. They might not use those words, but they're still saying that. The trial concludes the walk to Golgotha, the place of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and then the actual cross and the crucifixion. And then, are, are you listening? After three days and three nights, he was raised from the dead, praise God. Resurrection, come alive. Come alive, praise God. Amen. Amen. The stone was rolled away. The angels proclaim, the Lord, he ain't here no more. <laughs> Praise God. That's the story of my Lord and Savior. And if you're on YouTube watching this today, I want you to know the same Lord and Savior that I know, that these people here know, most of them anyway, that Jesus is alive he loves you. He died for you. He was raised again to prove everything he said to you was true. And he's alive today, coming to live in our hearts and lives and to lead us and guide us and teach us and bring us together as one. Also, I want to I read a little bit out of 1 Corinthians 15. Um, this particular section of 1 Corinthians 15 first few verses is probably the oldest part of the New Testament that we have manuscripts, actual manuscripts from. Uh, it was written, actually let me put it this way, the words that made up what we're going to be reading as was an early church creed actually were known to be in the early church around four or five years after the resurrection. We're talking early, 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 okay? And at that time, and what I meant by that the church was saying those things, was put in a creed, it's kind of like a poem, and you you repeat those words and you say them over and over again. And then it was written down a few years later. So that was carried from the fourth or fifth year. And by the way, people like Bart Ehrman, who happens to be a skeptic, uh, but also studied the Bible a lot, agrees that it was four or five years after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So when you have agnostics that are saying that, you've got some pretty good evidence. First yes. Corinthians uh, 15, 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if... You hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. A lot of people say they're Christians. A lot of people say, well, I, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's the default button in America a lot. Not as much as it was 30, 40, 50 years ago, but it's still a default button. And the truth of it is, is are you really saved? Are you born again? Is Jesus the Lord or the boss of your life? We have so many things that sound like we're a Christian, but they don't show that we're a Christian. And there will be fruit in our lives. And there's a process of sanctification, you, you know, day by day we go and we, we learn more and 
the power of God and his grace works in us to change us from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So this is the true Christian life. And there's many churches in Oklahoma City and in America that will actually share the truth of Christianity. But there are many, many churches in Oklahoma City and in America that proclaim Jesus Christ and Christianities that are false, false churches. And I'm not being mean here today, but I have a responsibility to preach the truth. And I will, by the grace of God, preach the truth. And I will take a stand for the truth and for what Jesus said, what the Bible says, not just make up my own theology and say, oh, well, you know, it's all about love and we all love each other, so let's just all la di da 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 The objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same today as it was and always will be. We can't make up our own. God created us in his own image. We have created a God in our own image in so many times. I know I've been on both sides. I know which one's better. <laughs> and I praise God for salvation. And if you had asked me for so many years of my life, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. Then you start really talking about it. I'd say, hey, I've got something I need to do. I'll see you later. <laughs> That'll show you something. You know, am I willing to celebrate Jesus? Am I willing to share with others? as opportunities come in? Am I willing to take a stand on what he believes regardless of what the newspapers or the internet or the social media or my next door neighbors say? And I'm not talking about being mean-spirited at all, folks. That's wrong. But I am talking about being truthful. I never see Jesus go, well, uh, you know, it'd be better if you probably weren't quite that way. It'd be better if you kind of did a little more this way. He didn't do it. Apostle Paul didn't do it. And that's what's important is that when times of adversity hit us, we know how to stand in the midst of them. And we're not moved by what we hear, what we see, what we may think, what somebody else says. We're moved by what the Word of God says as we read it by the Holy Spirit. That's what's so important. And, you know, the days are getting worse in this country. They're arresting Christians in Canada and in Australia and places that you'd never think of. I thought Australia was more you know, biblically minded than, than America was 20 years ago, at least in the, a lot of regions of it. And they've lost a lot of stuff. We have people proclaiming, there's a, there's a man that has one of the largest churches in America that's well known and comes, his father's well known and um, he, um, he has a lot of campuses and a lot of people, tens of thousands of people. And if you listen to a 10 year old message, it's good. It's good. It's biblical. If you listen to a message a couple of years ago, you kind of start wondering a little bit. If you listen to one today, different guy speaking. He's trying so hard to get people in that he's not taking, he's not making the gate that Jesus talked about that's narrow because Christianity is all about us losing our lives in him and talking about doing the things that we know to do because not because we have to not because of religion not because of thou shalt or thou shalt want but because that's what we want to do it's out of our heart if you can't do it out of your heart don't do it that's simple we talk about money or something like that we always say hey if it's not your heart don't do it right. you know rather have you give ten dollars because you want to rather than ten thousand that you don't and I'm, I'm being honest you can test me on that if you want to 
I say that by the grace of God and because it's true. And what we need to understand is the things that are coming about in our country today are not Christian things, so many of them. So many things are adamantly opposed to the Bible and what the Bible's teachings are. So as a result, we need to know how to discern. We need to know how to walk in truth. And that's what Church of Tomorrow is all about, to help you in that, to guide you in that. And as I say, believe it because I say it, but you better check it out with the Bible. Yeah. If what I say doesn't agree with the Bible, then you need to come up here and say, hey, what, what do you mean here? And I'll be glad to talk to you about it. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe you didn't understand what I said. Maybe, you know, whatever. Check the Bible yourself. It's true in all that it affirms. Okay, verse 3. Here comes the creed in just a little bit, a few words. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, quoting Old Testament referencing it, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then the twelve, the twelve apostles, or disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or died, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, that's Paul speaking, also as to one abnormally born. Verse 9, for I'm the least of the apostles and do not even desire to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul was saved and he was a murderer to the church before he was saved. He had a tremendous experience with Jesus Christ and became the author of the most, the largest number of books in the New Testament of anybody. Then he goes in verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, grace is the power of God to do that, which you can't do. Without effect means that uh, it, it was given to me and there was a change in my life. No, I, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, that is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So just how important is the resurrection of Jesus? Continuing in 1 Corinthians 15, this time verse 12, but if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we've tested about God that he raised Jesus from the dead, but he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all the others. The importance of the resurrection is the foundation for Christianity. 
No resurrection, no Christian faith. Period. That's it. That's it. And when we read about the resurrection, we know that it was in a phenomenal event. The clouds went dark is one of the songs that we sang. And there was earthquakes. Everybody knew, you know, one of the guards actually goes, surely he was the son of God when all that, that happened. Josh and Sean McDowell in The Unshakable Truth said, Jesus would have been less than deity if he could not conquer death. And he would not have been able to present his atoning blood before, the, before God without his bodily resurrection. Christ's redemptive act just wasn't in dying. Christ's redemptive act was both dying and offering his blood before God in a resurrected bodily form. The shedding of blood is signifying that one lays down their life. The life is in the blood. So the Old Testament used animals, which was a temporary covering. But once when Jesus' blood was given, which had happened at the, the cross, and then after his resurrection, he actually carried his own blood to the mercy seat in heaven. And it's still there today going, Mercy! 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 Mercy is forgiving you of your past. And then there's grace from God to empower you for the future. It's the way it works. And it's a wonderful thing. That's the introduction to my message today. (laughs) Don't get nervous on me. Because the actual message isn't that long. What I've done is tried to set the chain of events that happened leading up to his death, burial, and his resurrection. I'm going to close it with reasons that you should believe the Bible and that you should believe in the resurrection. I've kind of thrown them all together here. To give you the confidence that you may want or you may be able to, maybe you don't need it for yourself, but you may need it for your next door neighbor, somebody in your family or whatever. But these are the way that you can actually show proof. Some of them are only 99% accurate. But when you have a dozen or so that are 99% and all of them are, the probability of that goes like 99.999999. Okay? Beyond any shadow of doubt. I'm going to give you 18 of them. And some of them have several sections in it. Number one, 1 Corinthians 15, where we just read that he appeared to Peter, the 12, the 500, to James, all the apostles, and Paul. Okay? If you appeared to 500 people today and you said plenty to them, and you lied or lied about where you came from or whatever, don't you think at least one of those people out of 500 is going to be able to say something to discount? You betcha. You bet. The reason that James, name in here, James was a uh, half-brother of Jesus, was born of Mary and Joseph, and all the time he called Jesus crazy, madman, all those things. But he converted after the resurrection. And he was pastor of the largest church in Jerusalem. When somebody like that converts from 
way there to way there, you know that he believes. The apostle Paul, the reason he's mentioned, very, very similar. He was going about actually throwing people in jail and killing some of them who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And then he got saved gloriously, went into hibernation, you may say, to study the word and visited, actually visited with Jesus and then wrote so much of the New Testament. From extreme to extreme, he believed it. Number two, the empty tomb. That's a sure thing. If not, it would have been too easy to prove it wrong. Plus, the guards couldn't lie about that because they were facing death for letting him out. And I know there's some people that say, well, you know, they planted that. I, there's plenty of re rebuttal to that. They would have taken his body and had a parade and showed that the Christianity is a bunch of junk and everything else. But the, the tomb was empty. Number three, the Bible writes about embarrassing details. If you're writing a book and you're trying to build people up and make them happy and you're this noted author of a positive motivation, you're not going to put in embarrassing details like Peter. He was, he, he was, Jesus said he had a demon at one time. They fell asleep when they're supposed to be watching when he's praying in Gethsemane. They doubted him. Thomas says, I, I got to stick my finger in the side before I believe. He got that experience. They were cowards. When the cross went up, they went out. They were fearful. They got Jesus in the boat with them. The storm comes up. They go, oh, we're going to die, Jesus. The disciples all fled after the crucifixion. The point I want to make there is it was the women who went and checked it out the next morning. Because all the guys are over here hiding behind rocks. Mm -hmm. Pretty embarrassing, especially in that time when the men were everything and the women weren't. Well, that, that's what Jesus thought about women. He had them at his resurrection. They were the ones to say that the tomb is empty. What, number four, what they wrote about Jesus some of them said he's a drunkard. Some of them said he was a madman. And they say dying on the cross was a curse by God. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says there were many of the Jewish priests that were saved when this resurrection happened. Number six, the disciples were all willing to die for what they believed. And all of them did except for John. They died. I stood at the place where supposedly Thomas the Apostle was run through with a sword through his back when he was praying in India. That's an odd feeling. Yeah. 2,000 years ago. Number seven, there are over secular, excuse me, there are over 30 secular people who wrote and have verified of his resurrection in ancient writings. Number eight, the signs and wonders that Jesus did were verified. Number nine, the description of the signs and wonders in the Bible were simple and unembellished. They didn't go, hey, Jesus got some people healed today, praise God. There's the 300, I mean, 3, I mean 30,000 of them there. Evangelistically speaking, I better be quiet, hadn't I? But they were just written in simple terms. 
and they were renting without any smoke. The salvation of Paul, the salvation of James, 10 and 11, number 12, the acknowledgement of Jesus of women, by Jesus of women, putting them on the same importance as men. I don't know. I think he should have raised them maybe a little higher, but anyway. Number 13, immediate churches were established and they grew, blossomed, boom. Number 14, shortly thereafter, a few years later, the uh, Jewish churches quit the sacrificing of animals. They don't know why, they just did it. Now, some people say they're going to sacrifice them again. Well, that's going to be a problem, but anyway, we won't get into that one today. Number 15, end of the Sabbath. Jesus declared he was Lord of the Sabbath. The only of the Ten Commandments that are not verified and supported in the New Testament on the same level or a more strict level, the only one that is not supported is keep the Sabbath holy. Why? It was a day of rest, and Jesus has been made our rest. And that's what he meant when he said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Praise God. Number 16, and this is amazing archaeological proofs. And they have they started really in any noticeable amount back in the 19th century. And they've just escalated and continued to grow and grow and grow and grow, even up to this very day. They're still finding things. Number 17, prophecies which were told before and made manifest and are still manifesting, including what Jesus said about himself. He prophesied his own death, burial, and resurrection. And number 18, the disciples said that he appeared to them after his death, burial, and resurrection. In fact, there's a lot more about those appearances to them than most of us have read. I just want to encourage you to look at least at John and Luke, put them together, and let the Holy Spirit open your eyes and understanding to what he did to them and in them and with them several times. Would you bow with me, please? You're here today for a purpose, whether you know it or not. A purpose of that to some of you could very well be at your day of salvation. Maybe you have called yourself a Christian. Maybe you've not been uh, exposed to the, the real gospel. Maybe you've never really repented of your sins. That just means to think differently. And when you think differently, you'll it'll turn your life around into repentance, which makes you go the opposite direction in so many ways. When you find out about three things, there's the, 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 the creation of man. God created it, he, them, man and woman. And they messed it up. They sinned. Because sin entered through one man, sin came upon all men and women. And that means that we have been, our blood has been tainted by the lineage of our ancestors. Because it's kind of like this. God owns everything, but he gave the authority to Adam. And Adam took the lease out. And then Adam turned it over to Satan. 
Jesus has done what he needed to do at the cross. He proved it with his resurrection. So he gave us an opportunity to, even though we're in this world, will not be of this world. And give us an opportunity to be born again, to be made a new creation according to what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. That's all up to our decision that we make Jesus the Lord of our life. So that's what it means today. All mankind sinned. Every, there's never been a person to walk this earth that hasn't sinned except for Jesus Christ. He was all man, all God simultaneously. He did the thing that we could never do, and that's to earn our salvation. We would have to be perfect to do that, and we're not, and we can't be in ourselves. So, one, the garden, mankind fell. Two, Jesus went to the cross and was resurrected. And number three, we have to make a decision today. Do I accept Jesus Christ as my boss, my Lord, my Savior, or do I reject him by not accepting him? So we can turn it over to him or we can keep trying to struggle along our way. God has a new life for you. Maybe you've already become a Christian, but you may have kind of let things drop, slide away from you, and you're not really flourishing like you need to be. Well, that's also an opportunity for you to make a change today, change your direction. God wants you to know he loves you, he cares for you, he wants to walk with you and talk with you to be your God and, he'll be, and you'll be his people. So I ask you right now, those of you today that want, either want to make Jesus the Lord of your life or you want to refresh your relationship with the Lord, I want you to, if you would, just raise your hand right where you are. The Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart, you'll know it. He'll, he'll make himself real to you. One more time, if that's you today, and you're ready to turn away from your life as you're living right now and turn towards Jesus Christ and walk in the fullness of what he has for you, just ask you to raise your hand. Thank you for that hand. You may put it down. Anybody else today? Okay, we're going to pray this prayer. If you agree with what I say, I'd like to ask you to repeat it. If you don't, then don't repeat it, please. Okay? Let's all pray together, every one of us that believes this. Dear God in heaven, I am sorry for my sins. I turn away from them. I need your forgiveness. And I accept your forgiveness. I repent from the past. I look forward to the future. Jesus, I believe that God raised you from the dead. I believe that you are the Lord and Savior for everyone who wants you. I want you. I need you. I ask you to come into my life. And make me the new creation to be born again, just like you said in your word. I thank you for your free gift of eternal life. 
And I accept that and thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap. Pastor Kelly. Powerful message. Come alive. Look at someone and say, come alive. Hallelujah. God's calling us to come alive. At this time, we're going to dismiss those who are going to be baptized in a few minutes. So if you'll uh, get up, find, uh, is it Miss Vanessa? Are you going to help them out? Hallelujah. And they're going to be baptized. We have baptismals coming in a few minutes. Amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. While they're going to do that, we'll go over a few, uh, some, uh, uh, some announcements and so forth. I want you to remember that uh, how we give uh, here at uh, Church of Tomorrow. You don't have to be a, a member to give, and you don't have to be pressured to give, okay, if you are uh, a visitor, okay? And, uh, but I do want you to just be reminded God gave everything, okay? He gave his son, and so we, as a result of that, we can give generously, uh, back to him through the church. Amen? And so we give, you know, you know the process of texting to give, or you can give online, or we have the, the envelopes there in the back to uh, uh, work it that way. Uh, and then in addition to that, we have some announcements today. Uh, and in the announcements, uh, we finished with our series on covenant last uh, Wednesday. was magnificent. Uh, we are starting uh, another a series up here coming up. I'll tell you about it in a few moments. But this week, on April 12th, we're going to have a one-hour special uh, video that we're going to watch with Frank Turek, a contemporary defender of the faith. Um, we really believe in uh, defending our faith here at Church of Tomorrow. We're not mamsy-pamsy and just say, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me and then kind of end it there. We believe, okay, in uh, knowing who we believe, okay? And, and we want to know okay, him more than just surface level. And so uh, this next Wednesday on the 12th, uh, we encourage everyone to come. The following week, in two weeks, we're going to do, start our study uh, by John Bevere. It's called The Awe of God. We've talked a little bit about it, and some of us have already started reading from it. I encourage you to get the book. And we will be starting in two weeks. Look at your neighbor and say, two weeks. That's on a Wednesday evening. Okay, Wednesday evening. Now, on the 26th of, of uh, April, we're going to have a special worship night. And I know that uh, we have people here who love to worship God uh, in song. And so this will be a worship and prayer night that we're going to have together on the, the 26th on uh in April. And, and then right after that, on Thursday, Friday following, we're going to have special services, okay, uh, coming up those nights at 7 p.m. So uh, bring other people, and we'll see what God does. Look at your neighbor and say, we'll see what God does. Okay, amen. And then, of course, next uh, Sunday, Pastor Dan's going to do a part three of is healing for today, is healing for today. How many of you ever needed to be healed of something? Yeah, physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, all kinds of ways, okay? There are different things we've had to be healed of, amen? Is God a healer? He is the healer. We love our doctors, we love our nurses, we love medicines when they're needed, but he is our number one doctor. 
Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say he's number one. Hallelujah. At this particular time, we're going to get ready for communion. And in that uh, framework, uh, we're going to do it a little bit different than we've done it before. Uh, I would like to ask everyone to uh, stand and come to the front. You don't have to be a member of Church of Tomorrow to partake of communion. And after Pastor Dan has shared, okay, regarding uh, salvation, making a decision for Jesus, you are a believer. And believers are the ones that partake of communion. Amen? So I'm going to ask everyone at this time to come forward for communion. And just kind of come across up here at the front. Don't worry about the towels right there. You know, just step on them, okay? Uh, they won't scream or yell, okay? And that's for baptisms in a few minutes. So if everyone will come up and kind of see where you're at. Hallelujah, so that everyone has an opportunity to get. We still have some in there in the back that are still coming forward. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. One of the most powerful uh, parts of, of uh, the child of God and w moving and flowing with the brothers and sisters of Christ is learning to understand the power of communion. Can I, if we can kind of move a little bit further, up closer, because there's still some trying to come, come in. There you go. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, and what we're going to do is, as we do that, I, I want to read something to you at the front. And then uh, we have some gentlemen who are going to come from the sides and work their way toward the center. And, and the communion elements will be given. And then we will partake of communion. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, and in uh, the book of Mark, as they're uh, getting prepared, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. I assure you that I won't drink wine again until the day when I drink it new way in God's kingdom. And so we see uh, Jesus led his disciples, okay, and they began to partake in a special way. He wanted us to remember what happened, okay, on that day that was upcoming. And then Paul talks about it later, and we're going to uh, go over that uh, here in just a few minutes. But the uh, guys are passing out the communion elements. We want to make sure everyone has uh, communion elements. If you don't have yours yet and he's already passed you by, just kind of give us a wave so we can uh, get you as well. What a wonderful congregation this is. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Hallelujah. And don't forget to give one to Brad and then also Dion back there. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Isn't this amazing? This is the family of God right here. This is the family of God. We've got our intimate, close family, you know, husband, wife, and children, and so forth. That family, and that's most important. But the family of God is the next level. This is your family. You see that? Isn't that powerful, Katina? This is your family. Okay? Bernard, this is your family. Charlotte, this is your family. Okay? Everyone, look at someone else. Remember, this is your family. Okay? 
when we go up to be with Jesus, okay, this is your family. <laughs> There'll be billions and billions of others that'll be with you, okay? If someone can give Pastor Dan a, a communion elements, hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and he speaks to us today. And it says, For I received from the Lord. What did he receive? From the Lord the following instructions. What I pass along to you. The Lord Jesus, everyone say Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Now do this in remembrance of me. And at this time, we're going to partake of the bread. For those of you who kind of knew that, right? It just pops up in the top and we partake. So let's partake. Hallelujah. I'm not incredibly holy in terms of, you know, trying to do things perfectly. Okay. Hallelujah. We're family. I just sense that so strongly right now. Don't forget. You know, the things that are going on around us are pretty intense. But we're family. Okay. Hallelujah. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, listen to this, you proclaim. What does it mean to proclaim? Declare, speak out. You are confessing with what you're doing. You're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. What a powerful statement. Hallelujah. To your family, to those around you, to the Lord and to the enemy. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. 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 